0: increasingly non-Christians want to see how Christianity works, not just have a case made for them. In the past, there was a lot of focus uh, on apologetics or proof of who Christ is and what He did in the resurrection. Keller says, and I think he's right, he's got his hand on the pulse of culture, uh, is that increasingly we want to less have a case made for us about the existence of Christ and what He did, and more about what that means practically to my life. And I think the message... Tonight, uh, that Jesus is speaking and Mark is relaying to us, and I hope we can take a look at deeply and intimately tonight. speaks uh, speaks volumes to to being proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming Christ in in a world. And and I, it's one of the, the things that the problem of evil is a is a big issue in our world and. Uh, is a big stumbling block for people. If God is all good and God is all powerful, then how come evil exists? Those two things in the mind of a lot of people can't exist together. An all-knowing, an all-loving, all-powerful God uh, is in control of the universe and loves us deeply. Evil can't exist in the world in the minds of a lot of people. But I want to want to expose that a little bit tonight. Um, there are three stories that we will deal with in uh, the section of verses tonight. We will not. Look intimately in any of them. Instead, I want to try and, and bring some illustrations, some thoughts out of out of these stories. Um, the uh, the details of these stories. I want to. I don't want us to get bogged down in the details of these three stories. Instead, I want to see the the overarching theme that Christ is trying to teach to uh, to the people that he encounters in the story. And then, more than that, I want us to to understand what Mark is trying to teach to the Roman Christians in this time. Remember, uh, if you've been part of the series, you know that Mark is writing to the Roman Christians where Nero is persecuting Christians by by death, by impaling them on sticks and then setting them on fire. Um, This is the culture that a Roman Christian lives in, and Mark is writing this gospel, this story of the life of Christ, to give courage to them. In the midst of their pain, in the midst of their tragedy, Mark is writing the story to... And impart courage to them, and uh, I hope on top of that we can take some courage to live our life um, in a community, in a culture that's more interested in what uh, what Christianity does, how it works, than the the proof of it. So, uh, again, don't get lost in the details of these stories; um, you can lose sight of of the point of them. If you get lost in the details of them. Three stories that are here. First, um, there's a woman with a, possessed, a demon-possessed daughter. Second, there's a man with a deaf man with, a, with also a speech impediment. And then finally, feeding of the 4,000. If you remember a few weeks ago, we, we looked a few chapters ago um, about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is a, a, a totally different event, totally different thing that happened. Um, for each one of these stories... The subject of the story—the the woman and her daughter, the 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 man that's, that's deaf and demon possessed, and the four thousand people—the subject of these stories are totally focused, totally uh, put uh, their their thoughts towards uh, themselves, to their physical needs, to something that's happening to them, and ultimately the the point of the story for Jesus, the point of the story is teaching them. To trust him, and I think we uh, will we'll land on on this this thought. I'll say this several times tonight. We have to use pain as a tool. We have to understand that pain and need and problems in our life are is a tool that Jesus uses to allow us to trust him more. So many times we're so focused on who we are and and what is happening to us and the pain and the tragedy and the need that we have in our lives. And we wind up focusing on that, focusing on the thing that we lack, finances, a better job, a better spouse, um, uh, a better family, a better church. We're so focused on what we don't have. But Christ brings, and, and in these three stories, it's illustrated the metaphor that's being taught is that we are so focused on the physical when Christ is using pain and all these things uh, as a tool to, to teach us to trust Him. Um, the, the thought comes into my mind, uh, if Mia falls down and hurts herself, her immediate reaction is to want relationship, to want to be held by mere Instantly. Cooper, if he falls pretty instantly he's going to fall and want me or Jen to be by him and hold him. Hannah Grace, less so. Brianna, if she falls on a basketball court, the last thing she wants is me or Jen to run out there and and help her. And I think that that illustrates the, the, the point exactly is so much of our lives are about going from Mia to Brianna. And we think that's called maturity. And I don't mean to say that Brianna's is immature and me is mature, but in the spiritual world, it we think that that growing up, being self sufficient, self sustaining, unneeding, we think that that is gaining maturity. But ultimately, what Christ is teaching: circumstances in our lives, things that happen to us, are there to, to as a tool to teach us to trust Him more. Let's get to these stories, and uh, we'll illustrate a little bit about. About what I'm talking about, first in Mark chapter seven, starting in verse 24, and from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. I don't want to. In the past, when we stopped on on these in this met in this series on on a city, I would try to point your your attention to geographically where these things are. I'm not going to do that tonight because I don't want us to get bogged down in the details of the story. Instead, I want us to to rise above the story and see the overarching theme that Christ is is talking about. So Jesus went away to this region and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the... Little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I want to stop for a second and and tell you exactly what Jesus is saying. Let the little children be fed first. What he's speaking there is, in veiled terms, is let the Jews be fed first. I came to bring salvation to the Jews. Let the little children, let my people, let the Jews be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread. The children's bread is Jesus himself. The word of God in the flesh. It's not right to feed people other than my kids, myself. And throw it to the dogs. And the dogs are everybody that's not Jew. That's not Jewish. So, we might be thinking here quickly that this is racist of Christ. Or this is at the very worst favoritism from Jesus. And, and maybe it is favoritism. I, I, I'm not going to say it is or say it isn't. Ultimately, what's happening here is Jesus says, my coming to this earth immediately right now is for the Jews and not for you. But I I want to move past that and understand that this is... So many times we think that Jesus is testing our faith, and I think that's a, a, a wrong assumption, a wrong word to put on it because a test assumes that there's some sort of uncertainty by the giver of the test how the taker of the test is going to respond. Does that make sense? A test, if, if a math teacher gives a test, the math teacher is trying to determine how well these people get the material and the, the math teacher is uncertain how they're going to respond and how well the, the students, the peoples are going to do on the test. So this is not a test of any kind. Christ knows exactly how lady is going to respond. And what he puts in front of her is, you're not a Jew, I can't give this to you yet. Um, just a parenthetic note here. In Philippians 3.2, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Uh, he says, uh, beware of the dogs, of evildoers. And that word dog in the Greek is a man of an impure mind. This word dog here is not an insult in that regard. Paul intentionally was insulting the people in Philippi. Beware of these evildoers. Beware of these impure, ugly men. Christ is not using that word. He's using a different word that means actually a dog. Holly is my dog. It's it's not a, a metaphor of any kind. He, he's uh, speaking specifically of a dog. Verse twenty-eight. She answered him, "Yes, Lord. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs." In other words, she understands. I know you've come here to give to come to the Jews to come to, to God's chosen people, but. Please, I am a dog under the table. I submit to, to what you just said to me. I'm a dog under the table. And even dogs get scraps of, of what, what is there. Her response to Jesus pressing her faith is to fight through the circumstances and get to Jesus and get to what Jesus offers. See that. See that this, this understanding that, that it's not a test, but if, if Jesus wanted to, Jesus knew from the moment this woman spoke the first word that he was going to give this lady what she wanted. But instead of just giving it to her, he makes her walk through this pressing of her faith so that on the end of this issue, when she goes home and her child is healed, she knows that pressing through, pressing forth through circumstances brings faith, teaches her to trust in Jesus. Just like every time Mia falls and hurts herself, I'm going to be there to pick her up and hold her and nurse her and, and, and put a band-aid on her scraped knee and, and to hold her and love her and keep her from crying. I'm trying to get her to trust me continually, continually. And just, it's the same situation here. If Jesus wanted to, with the first word he spoke, he could have healed this woman's daughter. But instead of, of, of healing this woman's daughter immediately, he's, the point is not the woman's daughter. The point is teaching her to trust him. In every bit of life, every circumstance in our life, from good to bad to indifferent, is about Jesus trying to teach us to trust him. And I hope you see that coming through here. Verse 29, and he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left her daughter. Jesus rewards her faith. Jesus here was not talked into anything. It's not like Jesus said, you know what? That's a really good point. You said that thing about the dogs and and under the table and getting a crumb. That's a really good point. I'm going to reward you. No. Jesus wants her to press through her faith. Verse 30, And she went and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Basically what's happening here, God uses circumstances to stoke our faith. Jesus is the Savior. In this story, it's not anything other than christ as the savior and and see that we can read these scriptures and connect with the story and understand that jesus is teaching this woman faith and and all this but at the point at the end of the day at the end of the story jesus is the savior and he's using circumstances in our lives in your life he's using circumstances to teach you to trust him that he is the savior jesus doesn't need to test us Instead, he needs to teach us reliance upon him. Next, the, the speech impeded and deaf man. Uh, verse 31 of Mark chapter 8. Or Mark chapter 7, I'm sorry. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went down to Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. Again, I won't bore you with the details of the geography of what's happening there. Verse 32. And they brought him to a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, spitting, touched his tongue. It's really weird. Get the picture. Jesus putting his fingers in this guy's ears. And then he <clears throat> doesn't say where he spit, he just spit. And then he touches the guy's tongue. Very strange. Verse 33. Or verse 34. And looking up to heaven, sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged him to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Uh this seems to be a typical rank and file everyday miracle that Christ does here in fact nobody else Matthew Luke John don't record this miracle mark is the only one who records this miracle that happens and most of the miracles that Christ does and and connects with there's an element of faith that's associated doesn't use the word faith at all when speaking about this healing. The only thing that I see that Christ, that Mark can be teaching about the life of Christ is fight through your circumstances. Christ will provide. Wrestle through your circumstances. Christ will provide. God uses circumstances in our lives to trust Him. Jesus is the Savior. I want to illustrate what... Jesus is doing, trying to put this man in, what Mark is trying to, to connect with these people, reading this, the Romans, persecuted Christians. Um, I, I, I pray that what Mark is trying to impute into them will be imputed into us. I'll go back and say that again. Mark, again, is writing to Roman Christians who have difficulties in their life, and he's begging them to understand. Not to teach them about faith, not to teach them about anything other than Jesus is in control. And again, this is, the book of Mark sets up like, uh, like a museum, walking through the life of Christ. These aren't chronological events, these aren't things that happen one after the other. Instead, they're wings of a museum. And in this point of, of the museum, Mark is showing here. I'm going to tell you three stories, three images of the Jesus Christ that we celebrate and that we follow and that we are disciples of, where should people and change lives and change hearts and improve their lives as they learned trust Him. So that's what Mark is trying to communicate to these Roman Christians, and what I'm trying to communicate to us is we get so infatuated with ourselves and our problems and our issues that we miss the. Life really is a metaphor to teach us to trust Jesus. Everything that happens in your life. I want to direct your attention to Isaiah 35. You want to turn there. That's cool. If not, I'm going to read uh, a few verses to you. Scripture talks about um, the power of the Word of God in a a washing sense. And uh, I I want you to connect with, with that metaphor of your dirty, it's been a hard day, you've worked in the yard, you've you've been playing a sport and you're just sweaty and nasty and dirty and you get under the shower and you allow that to, to wash over you and you feel refreshed. You feel clean. You feel charge and, and 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 do something and, and just be strong. Imagine that feeling of of a shower washing you and cleansing you and changing you. And then take that notion to to what I've been saying about teaching Ourselves, Christ teaching us to trust in Him uh, from Isaiah 35. Starting in verse 3. And listen to the poetry and the power of these words. Let them bring courage and strength to you. Verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come and save you. See the intense poetry in these words. This is your God. When life Crushes down upon you. When the tool of pain in the hand of God crushes down upon you, hear these words Be strong, fear not, your God will come with vengeance. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. See the poetry, the beauty of that. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer when God is using the tool of pain in your life. See Isaiah 35.6 Then the lame man shall leap like a deer. The day will come and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. See the, the gospel there. The passive agent. The tongue of the mute. We are No voice can come from us, but when God acts in our lives and changes our lives and uses the tool of pain in our life and then comes and has changed us, saved us, the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. The beauty of that, the The poetry of that, the truth of that. It's gorgeous. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Picture a desert, dry, barren, cracked land. Streams now flow from that desert, the tool of pain in the hands of God. The burning sand shall become a pool. The burning sand shall become a pool. In the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. That is the gospel. That is beautiful. Connect your heart with that and understand in the midst of pain, in the midst of of uncertainty, Jesus Christ is your Savior. You are passive he is active. He is God coming to bring streams of life in the desert, trying to coming to bring songs of joy to the mute tongue. It's a beautiful and awesome God. God uses the circumstances of life to teach us to trust him, trust that he is our savior. Our last story, the feeding of the 4000. The first 10 verses of chapter 8. Let's read those together and then we'll draw some more from it. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered them, How can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? I want to pause just for a second and see how stupid these people are. Probably a matter of weeks ago, they saw this same stinking thing happen, and now, they're like, how are you going to what? What I don't. What, uh, uh. So many times we come at Scripture and see this, see the fact that these dumb disciples saw the same circumstance happen two or three weeks ago, and God provided, and now they come at him saying. Jesus, what are we going to do? And it's so easy for us to look at this scripture and read that in Mark 6, he fed 5,000 people and had bread and fish left over. And now these dumb disciples, just a little bit later, are trying to figure out how he's going to provide for them. And so many stinking times we act that way. We get so convinced and so confused and so uptight about our situation and we can't figure out how God's going to provide when, just a little bit ago, God provided. So don't Cast a stone like I just did at these disciples. We are dumb too. Verse 5, he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke bread. He broke them and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. And they set them before the crowd. They had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up all the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately, he got in the boat with his disciples and went to the district of a really long word starting with D. Something like down, something. So what is the point of this story? Again, using circumstances to show us, to teach us, that he has provided It is to get us to the point where we no longer trust in ourselves, but instead trust in who He is. There was a a time when I was a, a senior in high school, so I guess that was 20 years ago. A friend of mine was at Central Methodist University in Fayette, Missouri. And me and my brother and a buddy of mine named Scott drove down to to visit this guy at college. Uh, It's basically, you get to Columbia and then you go east a little bit. So it's a couple hour, two and a half hour drive away. We got uh, to Columbia and we made the turn. I don't even remember where it was. Uh, We make the turn going to Fayette. We're going to go maybe like a half hour um, from Columbia or so. I don't know. But the point is we... Something, big slam, pow, happened inside the, the engine. Freaked us all out. You know, no, none of the three of us have any clue. I mean, we can pump gas and that's about it. Uh, but something bad has just happened under the hood. And there's this big, there's a bunch of steam coming out. So we're, we don't know what to do. So the first instinct for us was, man, this really sucks. We're really excited to go and, and hang out in a, in, a, in a on a college campus. It's going to be really cool, very exciting. And... So we sit on the side of the road, and, and we get a, a tow truck to come, and he tows us to this little gas station on the road. And uh, I don't know, we did something to to something, uh, the distributor manifold or something. Uh, had a rod slip, I don't know. Uh, anyway, it was really bad, and the car was uh, undrivable. So, I hope your distributor valve never has a rod slip. (laughs) I promise that I wouldn't try to be funny anymore. Uh, So, the point of the story is this. We are stuck in this roadside town that has a little like greasy spoon diner and a firework stand and (laughs) and a gas station, like a an auto repair shop. The guy in the auto repair shop says, your car's not getting fixed. You need to call somebody to come get you. So now we've got like two and a half hours to spend in this this town. I'm thinking, man, this is miserable. This sucks. We're not going to get to go see our friend. But there's this greasy spoon and there's this firework stand and it's three, you know, like 18, 19, and 20-year-old guys. We had a really good time. And the the point of, of that story is... We are so consumed with where we think our destination is. The point of this life is not your destination. The point of this life is being with Christ. Learning to trust Him. In every single one of these stories, from woman with a demon-possessed daughter to the man with that couldn't talk or had, and was deaf, to these 4,000 people that are hungry. Varying degrees of problems, of issues. Ultimately each one of these people was so focused on their point, on their problem, on the, the, the subject matter for them that they they missed Christ. And so many times that can be the case for us. It wasn't about for us getting to Fayette Missouri. We never I've never even been in Fayette Missouri. No. I got like twenty minutes from there and turned around. But it was one of the one of the greatest three hours of my life wasting time. And, and that's, the, that's the point of our lives, that to see being with Jesus is, is the point. Uh, understand that this truth, God has, has given you a purpose for your life. And That purpose is to proclaim the message of Jesus, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And whenever I hear this word, Proclaim. I think of a guy standing in on a wooden platform where a bunch of people with a megaphone yelling at people, telling them they're sinners, uh, telling them ugly stuff. But proclaim, as Scripture points out, 1 Corinthians 11.26, when Paul is teaching about the Lord's Supper that we'll take in a little bit, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This word proclaim is really means to direct the minds, direct the hearts of people towards the beauty and redemption of Jesus Christ. That's what proclaim means. It's, it's not an audible proclamation. It is direct attention, direct hearts to the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's the mission and, and purpose of our lives. And just like in each of these cases, Jesus has come to provide what is necessary for you to th- fill, carry out that mission. Trust Him. That is the point. When faced with the question, what do we do? the answer is trust Jesus. All of these stories illustrate one single point. The, the they, they seem a little abstract from where they are. One's teaching about faith and one doesn't mention faith at all. And one is just, it's a major miracle, but doesn't solve a big dilemma for feeding these 4,000 people, doesn't solve this, this massive dilemma. So they don't, there's not really a, a connecting point other than Jesus is the hero. The connecting point is Jesus is the hero. And the point is just that, that Jesus is our hero, not the, the salvation of, of the problem. Quit trying to provide. Stop worrying. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. I want to close with Romans chapter 8. Again, allow this just to, to wash over you. With this understanding that Jesus is trying to get us to quit providing for ourselves and instead look to Him as a provider for our lives. This is going to be a familiar passage to you. Remove yourself from the familiarity with it and connect with the story that Christ is trying to, to speak to you in your heart in this moment. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In this case, so many times when we encounter pain, when we encounter tragedy, when we encounter just normal everyday hardship, we think that that pain, that tragedy, that turmoil, that everyday hardship is what is against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn Christ. Jesus is the one more than that, who was raised, who at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. All these different thoughts of pain, all these different thoughts of of trials, None of these things has the ability to separate you from the love of Christ. And in fact, each one of them is a tool in the hand of God to get you to trust Him. Verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know of specific things that are happening in lives of the people that are in this room and people that call North Church their home. Very harsh, very difficult things. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. There is nothing in this planet that can keep you from Christ. And the stuff that's happening to you, this very temporary, this very earthly stuff, that happens in your life is only a tool in the hand of God to teach you to trust Him. In the Gospel, you are passive. You have nothing to do with your redemption. In mission, you are passive. You have nothing to do with provision. God has has laid out a very specific, very purposeful task for the next 50 years of your life. You have nothing to do with the provision of the accomplishment of that task. That is gospel speaking to your heart. That is Christ speaking to your heart. Worry not. Fret not about how you're going to get to where God has called you to go and enjoy Him. Worry not that I never made my way to Fayette, Missouri, but instead I got to hang out with my boys and have a great time. Worry not about what you think you're supposed to do. Instead, hang with Jesus. Be with him. He has provided everything necessary for your mission. That is gospel centered life. Pain. The gospel addressed to pain. You have Nothing to do with your pain. It's a tool in the hands of God. When a loved one dies, Jesus is your Savior. The loved one is not. When a spouse fails you, Jesus is your Savior. The spouse is not. When a friend bails, Jesus is your Savior. The friend is not. When you lose your job or don't get a job, Jesus is your Savior. The job is not. When you're uncertain about your future, Jesus is your Savior. Security is not. Trust Jesus and proclaim the Gospel. Trust Jesus And in so doing, claim the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Jesus Christ. I thank You for the beauty of Your Gospel. I thank You for the beauty of the words that You have pierced our hearts with in Isaiah. You have provided all that is necessary. You have come as the active One to our passiveness, God. You have unloosed our tongues so that we might sing Your praise. You have brought streams to the deserts of our lives, God. Lord, I pray that we would not be so filled with pride, so we would focus on the problems that we have, we have God. Instead of being focused on them, be focused on you. That you are the savior of that problem. We would see you as the redeemer, not some sort of ability to, to change things, or not uh, a friend or a job or spouse. God, we would see you as the one and only necessary Savior. God, we thank You for pain. God, I thank You for pain. Let the bones that You have broken rejoice, God. Lord, I, I beg of You now, to descend upon us and allow us to to interact with You, Father. That You might consume our minds with finding the lesson of trust that You're teaching us. Lord, and we might persevere through that lesson get to the gold of faith in You, of trust in You, That it's not about this world. It's not about what You've given or what You've taken away. But it's about You, God. God, be with us now as we respond in worship to You. Guide our hearts to places of worship. In Christ's name, Amen.